your favorite movie podcast, Not a Bomb. Um, you know what? I, I, I kind of want to dispense with a lot of the introductions. Um, Brad Troy here, right? Say hi, Brad. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm really excited about this week's episode. Um, did you, did, uh, let's get the formalities away. Good week, Brad. Everything going good? It was fantastic. Awesome. Working, working from home. Can't, Sweet. It's just so awesome. Um, this is a special episode for us because uh, we have a guest. Uh, one of the one of the great things about doing any type of podcast, especially when you talk about films, and the awesome thing about films, it's it's the great uniter, right? Everybody yeah. watches movies. So um, the the even picks are when I get to pick a film, and this week I picked Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. And we thought um, it would be fun to bring in another movie fan, specifically somebody who loves this film too. And I want to introduce a fellow um, softball dad, John. How are you doing tonight, John? Doing good. Doing good. Happy to be here. Awesome. Excited. Well, um, Brad and I, I want to. Are... Ju- I want to jump in. I'm a little bit jealous you guys are together. Yes. I'm, I'm seeing you guys together, and I feel so out of place. We're, we're seeing you, though, Brad. It, it's like yeah. you're right here, so don't don't feel too out of place. Yeah, we can physically okay. touch you on the screen. Oh. Yes. There you go. Yes. Um, <laughs> so Brad and I were talking about this because uh, we've been excited uh, for a good week about, okay, we're going we're gonna to bring somebody on, and uh, for anybody who may have listened for the free, first few episodes or even listened to us like years ago, they probably have a good idea of uh, Brad and I's personality. And so Brad and I worked really hard. Like, what is the best way to bring somebody like John on and get to know them and, and have anybody who's listening get to know you too? So, um, I don't know. Have you ever watch, uh, what, what was the show, Brad? The Actor Studio? Yeah, with uh, Inside inside the Screen oh, Actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside the Actor Studio. So, was, was it yeah. James Lipton? Who would James always, Lipton. Yes. Who'd always do the questions. With the celebrities at the end. So oh, yeah. I, not, saw, I saw his commercials, but I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I think at the end of every one of his um, interviews, he'd always ask these 10 questions. And we don't have 10 questions. Thank God. Um, but it took, us a, it took us a week to come up with five. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had to have Kevin help us out. <laughs> oh, Lord. So um, we have a list of questions before we talk about this week's film. And I'm super excited to jump into this. Um, not just because it's a personal favorite of mine, but, um, this was a first time watch for you, right, Brad? It was. Yes. Okay. And, uh, this is something you and I, I know John have grown up on. Oh yes. But, um, before we do all that, right. All right. So we want to get into five questions to find out about John. So Brad, you want to kick off the first one? Yeah. So John, what was the first movie you remember seeing in the theater? The very first movie I remember seeing in the theater was actually Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. So uh, you when it's actually when it's actually called Star Wars and not Star Wars episode. Special edition <laughs> George <laughs> Master remake number yeah. two point yeah. two. <laughs> now it was um yeah it was my very first real experience uh, in a movie theater because. Um, my dad had just got stationed in Germany, decent Germany. And as a part-time job, he took, uh, he was the manager of the, the post theater. Um, so one of the nights he actually brought us to the theater. Um, it was star Wars. Really? It was star Wars. That's wow. crazy. Yeah. That is a great first movie. Oh, so you, I, did you see it with an audience or was it like oh, your it was own personal audience, oh, oh, I had soldiers. There's all kinds of soldiers and personnel and other families there. And 
it, it was kind of like um it, it was kind of like a stunned silence at the end of the movie really yeah but like you know um you know uh, what was the movie dragon when they showed how bruce lee got mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden everyone was like <laughs> nobody carried me out but that was the typical reaction i mean the audience i remember that as a kid because it was just stone quiet until the credits hit and everyone just went wild because it was just they were just like wow this was awesome that's that's impressive okay that's a good start yeah um all right my question number two that's man you knocked out of the ballpark in the first one okay then home run i'm done okay no okay. you're not done <laughs> not yet um second question what do you think of garden gnomes <laughs> i love his expression already <laughs> Yeah, we need to fix the zoom camera so Brad could see this. <laughs> Garden gnomes. Yes. Um, I think people who have them uh-huh. have had childhood issues. Okay. <laughs> and the only good garden gnomes I like seeing are the ones that they have in those um, compromising positions, adult mature audiences only. Uh, what about zombie garden? Have you seen the ones with like the Godzilla gar- yeah, garden gnomes? Yeah. You, you're okay I, with those? Those are those are okay, but for me, it's kind of like a little bit of a ripoff because um, being one of the lucky ones to be a child of the '80s, I remember Garbage Pail Kids. So every time I see gnomes, it's like, oh, they're trying to do like a little ripoff and be something funny, cute. Wow. While at the same time, just being you know the worst paint job ever. <laughs> so two questions in, we've already found out you're a world traveler. Because you saw Star Wars, and it was in another country, right? It was right? in another country. Okay. Um, military family, yep. right? Uh, secondly, you have a deep-cut knowledge of pop culture to bring up Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, Brad, you're up. All right. If Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? Who would I like to see to play the lead role of me? Yes. Um... What genre of movie would it be, too? It would be martial arts. Okay, good. Um, I like that. Yes. Number one, because I know Mom, rest in peace. I know she's still watching me. Um, I guess the actor I would love to have me play in a martial arts flick would be Rain. Um, to give a oh. little bit of a bias. Wow. It's because Was he Korean. the assassin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wachowski brother. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Bonus points. Yeah. Uh, he's Korean. Um, he's a good actor, and he really took his martial arts training really well in Ninja Assassin. Um, so I think to have him in a uh, coming-of-age comedy love story, but I got to kill a bunch of people movie would be awesome. And coach softball. And coach softball. Yes, and Rain could coach a hell of a softball game. I bet. Uh, I think the girls would be more distracted <laughs> uh, with Rain coaching okay. softball, but yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done his uh, two-year service, so he's free. Wow, we're learning a lot about you. Martial yeah. arts background. Yeah. Korean. Korean. Which is, you know, it, it's a crazy coincidence. There is uh, a movie we're going to talk about today that actually deals with a Korean character. I don't know if you knew that or not. What is it? Does uh, it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay. Does it really? Yeah, yeah, it does. I don't... Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> the Korean character and me have more in common than he does with John. So. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, right. Fourth, fourth question: Who is your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and why? Who is my favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Honestly, it would have to be Donatello. Oh. Um, 
studying martial arts, the bow staff, three-piece staff was one of my favorite pieces to train with. But also being a kid in the 80s and, you know, we didn't, we didn't have all the fancy stuff we do today. So for me, it was... It was kind of a blessing and a curse when my parents, and you know, understand to another bit, you know, come up from a poor family, dad being army, mm-hmm. my mom being Korean, um, wasn't a whole lot of money. So when I actually got toys, um, I actually spent, if you were to gauge like, you know, uh, those surveys, mm-hmm. how often do you play with your toys? You know, one hour, two hour, three hour, four hours. My survey would have been, how often do you play with toys? Then the next question, how often did you spend disabling those toys? Oh. Disassembling, reassembling, taking them apart, making monster mutations. That, that sounds like something Donatello would do. Yeah, so, you know, for him to be all this technically inclined and build stuff from scratch, that's kind of how my childhood was because I didn't have a lot. So when we found a lot of stuff, I would take it apart, figure I, – I, I learned how to solder. Mm-hmm. Um, rebuild uh, some circuit wires and speakers and stuff when I was nine years old. Holy cow. Yeah. I was not doing that at nine. No. I was playing Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. You young, you youngins. Yes. All right, last question. Uh, what is your favorite movie bomb that you uh, recommend to everyone? Favorite movie bomb? God, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question. Oh. Now, recommend, are we talking about as I think they would enjoy it, or this is your punishment for the... Oh, it's got to be recommend. I mean, well, do you, you have one for each? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I think we, you know, you and I kind of hit upon it the other night. You know, if I was to punish somebody, Jupiter Ascending. Oh, God, the movie's horrible. Um, <laughs> that's, that's granted, terrible. visually, okay. so this is how bad it was after about, so for Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. I spent the first 30 minutes um, trying to get into the story, but then I realized how much this was just so much bad. Uh, I spent the rest of the movie analyzing the effects and how I could try to recreate them in after effects. Yeah. Okay. Isn't Channing Tatum a dog in that movie? Yes. No, yeah. he's, 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 he's a, he's a wolf cub. He's, he's a puppy. He's a puppy. Is he a mog? Is he a mog like barf? He, he, barf. <laughs> yeah. From space. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd want to see that film. I'd like to see yeah. those two. Team up. That'd be good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah he, I would consider him like an Ewok on steroids or something. Uh, I mean, probably a handsome better. Ewok. Yes, that could talk. So what's what's the movie that it's a bomb, but you recommend? Squirm. Like, Squirm. Eighty. Squirm. Oh, yeah, that's a eighties horror film. Right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Because, okay. um, you know, number one, a lot of people are scared of bugs. Wait till they watch Squirm, <laughs> and they see all these. Uh, <laughs> I forget what they call them. Blood, blood crawl, night crawlers. Large worms that actually had teeth. I think I remember in the video store seeing the cover of Squirms with yeah. some lady with all the bugs covered on yeah, her or Yeah, a bunch something. of worms coming yeah, out of her face yes, yes, stuff okay. in and out of her cheeks. Yeah, that movie did not do well, but it was one of those movies after I watched it. I spent my, the next two weeks watching every step I took because I didn't want to step on a freaking worm. <laughs> Ooh. All right, Brad, we might have to add that to the list. I mean, my... my my interest would be, I don't think I ever picked it up from the video store because of the cover, because it looked too gross. Oh, yeah. You got to watch it. Okay. Yeah. We'll watch that. All right. So, this week, Brad, what are we talking about? We are talking about Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins? Question mark? Because it <laughs> doesn't really go... It was supposed to go a lot of places, but it doesn't. That's true. Um, the series. This will be interesting. So, John, one of the things, before we get into talking about the film... 
we like to talk about the release portion of it. Mm. Um, Brad, uh, being the the mathematician that he is, will talk about the box office, etc. And I might talk a little bit about the people behind the cameras. So um, this was my pick, and it was one that um, uh, I, I have the original movie poster. I think you've seen it. Yep. I just found this the other day too, Brad. I'm, I'm going to show this on camera. It is the novelization of Remo Williams. It is in John Christine condition. It, it is in... Uh... So as a comic book geek, this is in near mint condition. Near mint, and I, I've read it several times. Um, John, what would you rate that? Like a nine six or like a nine five? I, I would rate this as a nine point four near mint. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's, it's good. It's, even, it's so, even got eight pages of pictures from the film. Yes. So this leads me to my story that I was going to tell you, Troy. Okay. Um, the other morning, I'm having coffee with my wife, and she said, "Troy posted a picture of the Remo Williams novelization." Said, yeah, we're doing it this week on the podcast. And she said, oh, I really love that movie. I watched it like every day growing up with my dad. So <laughs> she here sounds it is. awesome. I've, I've known Natalie for almost 10 years. Oh, are you, know, you we're, kidding me? We're married. We live in the same house. And I never knew that she had this deep, dark secret that she loved Remo Williams. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I know. it. It. You got a good woman. How, yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I don't know if Remo Williams is... is <laughs> Plays into that, but I mean, she has boy. other qualities. Or I, I love yeah. Natalie Dash. She's awesome, <laughs> but this puts her over the top, right? Okay. okay, that is awesome. Well, and you know, I was, I was, I was digging um, through boxes to find this. Found out I had a bunch of novelizations, um, and I know you and I are. What are about you it. doing with your life? <laughs> no, it was just when, when you. So Brad, you and I have some ear, years between us. I think John and I are closer in age. But um, did, did you ever buy the book of a movie, Brad? I don't know if I ever. I mean, Jurassic Park was a book before the movie. Right. Yeah, Michael Crichton. Yeah. Maybe like, I don't know. Maybe like the Adams Family movie. Maybe I think I had the novelization of that. Because I feel I feel like there was a time, especially in the '80s, when um and you know internet wasn't a huge thing. Obviously, uh, you watched your films via cable, went to the video store. And it felt like, especially for some of these genre films, if you ever wanted to go back and relive the film, you either, you know, grab the comic book version, which I have some of those of The Destroyer, Mm -hmm. um, the novelization, which I have a ton of that. But I didn't know, like, even today, I I can't remember the last novelization I ever bought, because to your point, Brad, most of the time, the movies that are coming out today, it was a comic book before that, or it was a famous book something, but... I think the practice was um, you would take the script that they used, give it to a writer. I think Alan Dean – was it Alan Dean Foster that did some of the Star Wars ones? Yes. Yeah. And so the cool thing about the novelization is they're writing the book off of the script. And so you would get scenes that today might end up on the deleted scenes or something of that nature. But the novelization was how you really kind of got the full scope of the film. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I can tell you for me personally, the last novelization that I bought, um, it was only because, only because um, it was written by one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. Terry Brooks. I am a huge uh, genre fan, Landover Kingdom for Sale, um, big, huge fan of his. And he did the novelization for The Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was one of the books I quickly donated back to the library because it was actually <laughs> how much how much more detail did the trade embargoes did they get into like I Very... really want to know about all about embargoes and 
the it, Viceroy. It, How'd it, you feel about the Viceroy? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, won't even start there, but yeah, it, it was it was it was a book that basically tried to as it like we're doing now. If I told you a story, he's mm-hmm. basically transcribing the story. Oh wow! Of, of how it went. That that's and that was about that was the last one I bought. Oh okay. Well, so novelizations aren't a big thing anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> episode one killed it. No. So let's talk about your wife's favorite film, Remo Williams, <laughs> um, 1985. Brad. So when when this sucker came out, obviously it's uh, showing up on a podcast, not a bomb. So how how did it do when it came out? So this was funny because I had to kind of do some research on the budget. I think they tried to keep it under wraps, but. There's a big, like, Statue of Liberty scene later on in the film, and apparently that was really expensive. Um, this movie cost $40 million in 1985. That's a lot um, of money. And it made about $13.5 million, so they lost <laughs> quite a bit of money. Um, it did not fare too well with the critics. Um, sits at, like, 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, if you go to the good old Amazon machine and you look at customer reviews on Amazon... Uh, 75% of the 361 customer reviews are five stars. So, uh, it is, it is quite loved. Um, what, what came out about the same time when this thing got released? Oh, it's, you'll understand why this movie didn't do very well. When, <laughs> yeah. So it has, um, Commando comes out a week before this movie comes. Um, so, you know, Commando. Uh, okay. Yep. Uh, a movie called Jagged Edge. Oh, that's uh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. Um, uh, shoot, was it Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges. Jeff yes. Bridges. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Demons comes out the week before. <gasps> is that um, is that the Demons like uh, Dario Gento produced Demons? Lumber, Lumber, Lumberto. It's Lombardi? it's the one. It's the blue cover with the yellow letters. Um, the, uh, I think that's right. I'm okay. trying to yeah. Um, Evils of the Night. Which yeah. I'm not. No idea. Uh, Silver Bullet. The werewolf movie. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, comes out the same. Comes out the same day. Um, oh, the day before. I'm sorry. Better Off Dead comes out. John um, Cusack. Yes. Um, then Remo Williams, and then the Reanimator. Oh, really? Oh, and, oh yeah. Yeah. Comes out the next week, and then <clears throat> A Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is um, on Halloween that year. Yep. So you have one classic. Um, action film, and then a bunch of horror movies, and then Remo Williams. So, I I think it told. You know, it's funny you say Commando because um, John and I had been talking about this. Uh, you you look at the films or the action movies that would have came out about the same time. Commando is a great example. In the '80s, Schwarzenegger is really putting movies out that are all about the explosions and the guns. I mean, Remo Williams is not that film. It's Re- Sly Stallone, and it's. Schwarzenegger putting out body count movies and explosion movies. Yes, and yeah. there are very few bullets fired in this film. Um, it and when we get into talking about, I, I think its strengths. I think you'll find that it is um, a little bit the anti-80s action film. It falls in line with more of the adventure film, mm-hmm. um, and that's probably leads to why a lot of people aren't flocking to it because, to your point, Brad, not a lot of body count. Yeah. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I, I, I agree to a point, but also to uh, the other point, like, uh, I forgot Nightmare on Elm Street 2 came out roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. you got to remember, Nightmare on Elm Street was just a, a phenomenal success in yeah. terms of horror movie, and that kind of helped revive that horror genre. 
kick it off in the mid 80s so nightmare on Elm street 2 came out i remember going to see that oh yeah uh, it, it was it was great so yeah um to your point of yeah it, it wasn't you know bing, 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 everywhere you know no it, it if you look at the movie it, it was truly trying to stay um hey here's a real action hero you know he's doing he's doing an, an actual adventure mm-hmm. you know check it out yeah, but it's... i don't think it caught on because people were just you know that instant gratification of oh there's explosions oh there's some blood blah 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 yeah. and it, it's interesting because the director um is let me look here guy hamilton is everybody familiar with guy hamilton i was not so guy hamilton he's directed approximately 22 films i i looked this up he only directed one more film after remo williams try this one for size but the interesting thing about guy hamilton oh i do know where you're going with this yes so he's a james bond director right he is yeah. he did yeah Goldfinger in 1964, mm-hmm. Diamonds Are Forever in 71, Live and Let Die in 73, The Man with the Golden Gun in 74. Um, after the James Bond stuff, he does um, Force 10 from Navarone. Good movie. Yes, in 78. And then a couple of, uh, I believe these are the Agatha Christie films, The Mirror Cracked in 1980. <gasps> really? And Evil Under the Sun in 1982. So, yeah. You, s- you say James Bond and like a light bulb just goes off and... This is like the Americanized wannabe James Bond, right? Like they're make, they're trying to do James Bond with this movie. Well, yeah, I, th- I think as the studio, the the folks that are putting this together, they they specifically went after this director because, to your point, Brad, they are they are trying to start a franchise with this because obviously oh, yeah. the adventure begins. Oh yeah. Um, and it's a studio. Orion is going after MGM in that sense and taking over that market. Uh, then you get the cast. The cast is very interesting. This is where some discussion is going to show up. Um, Fred Ward, R- Remo Williams. Mm-hmm. Fred Ward at that time. And, and this is interesting, too, because if you're thinking about 80s leading up to this role, he does Southern Comfort in 1981. Fantastic movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember this one? I don't know if you've seen this, Brad. Time Rider, The Adventures of Lyle Swan. Are you? That was him? That was 82. You've never seen Time Rider? No. Okay, no. so it's it's basically a motocross uh, uh, b- bike rider, Fred oh Ward, um, ends up going back into time into the old west. Yeah. It, it's a okay. fantastic film. We might have to we might have to pick that one up too. Okay. Um, now hits it big with the right stuff in '83. Yep. As uh, Gus Grissom. Uh, I think his, his he played Gus. Yes, I believe you're right. Yeah. Then Silkwood in '83, Uncommon Valor in '83. Fred Ward is working his butt off, yeah. right, in the '80s. Swing Shift in '84, Secret Admirer in '85. Then Remo Williams, The Adventures Begin '85. And Fred Ward is one of those people who've been around for a super long time. Um, the other folks in this, Wilford Brimley. Um, which okay, does Wilford Brimley look like Wilford Brimley in every film? I was gonna did? ask, has he always looked like he's seventy five years old? Like he looks <laughs> well, the same today as he did in eighty five, and he like. Yeah, I mean, I heard a story about Wilford Brimley that um, he only takes ten minutes in the makeup room. <laughs> no matter what movie it is, it's only ten minutes. I believe, and it's it. to brush his mustache. I get in the eyebrows. <laughs> and eyebrows. Yeah, that's about it. Because uh, I, I think I watched Hard, Hard Target like a couple weeks ago, and I swear oh my God. He, he looks the same in Hard Target yeah. as he does in Remo Williams. Um, Actually, can we go back to Fred Ward just one second? Yes. You forgot like his best output. Tremors? Yes. Tremors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, that's oh, yeah. later in his career. I know, but still. But, but yeah. Tremors is fantastic. Yes, Tremors I agree. and okay. Tremors too. Yes. 
Oh, I loved him even more in Tremors too. It's... He's 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 an. I mean, I think he's today relegated to good supporting cast right bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I man, I always if Fred Ward's in something, <laughs> I'll watch it. Oh yeah. He's like a blue collar actor guy. Yeah. I mean, oh, that, he, that's a great yeah. description. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And he he's a blue collar actor, and and he gives you the character that they want to portray. Yeah, that's true. You know true. what I mean? They want they they want like in Tremors, you know. He's like, oh, he's a handyman. And he runs into this stuff. Well, he's gonna, you know, he, he plays that part. You know, the second one, he's the reluctant guy to go after to make a few bucks. And when he finally, you know, gets his neck deep in it, he he's a good foil for Kevin Bacon too. <laughs> exactly. He just he just he kind of he definitely Fred uh, Fred Ward's awesome. Yep. So Kate Mulgrew. So it took me a minute to under. So she plays Major. Um, Rainer Fleming. Yeah. Um, and she's in a Star Trek series, right? Voyager. Voyager. Okay. Um, this is this is where I have to punch out Star Trek. Out of, <laughs> I'm I don't know. Same Captain way. Captain Janeway. Captain uh, Janeway. Okay. Because I, I see her, I'm like, I know she's yeah. in another science yeah. fiction thing. And it totally wigs me out because having watched Star Trek Voyager for a good bit, and I, I don't know. We're probably all the same. I know Troy and I are the same. Like, like Remo Williams. If it's on, it could be like the first ten minutes, the last five minutes. We're gonna watch it. But every time I see her, hi Janeway. <laughs> was she? Was she? I I just recently because my kids discovered Cheers. Wasn't she the mayor that Sammy hooks up with in Cheers as well? I can't remember. There were so many episodes of Cheers. They just like all blurred together. Yeah, she's she's another actress that I think pops up in a lot of stuff, TV and films. Yeah. Um. Oh. Did anybody recognize who the ambulance driver was in Remo Williams? Yes. Um, no. Ah, I can't remember his name because I'm I'm getting old, and I have children of my own. Um, but he was the cop in Die Hard. Yes, Reginald Va- oh. uh, Bell Johnson, Sergeant yes. Al Powell. Yes, Al Powell. Yep. He's the ambulance driver that yep. Remo yeah. steals the ambulance from. Yep. Okay. So there's one more person that stars in this. Um, Joel Gray as June. <laughs> Should we get into this right now? Well, yeah. Yes, because this is the biggest elephant in the room I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> it, is, it is bigger. Okay, so in, in, in full disclosure, I'll be the first to say, um, Joel Gray is an amazing actor, won an Academy Award for Cabaret. Yep. Um, oh, we also forgot that Remo Williams was nominated for an Academy Award, too. Yes, in makeup. In makeup, and yes. Joe Gray was actually a Golden Globe nominee for Best Supporting Actor yeah. for Remo Williams. Um, but for the longest time, even growing up, I I thought Chun. I was like, oh, who who is this old Korean actor that they? I mean, he's the other Mr. Miyagi, you know, <laughs> Pat Morita. Um, and I had not put two and two together that um, Joe Gray was a white guy who had some amazing, and obviously it, it, it's nomination for best effects, everything else, uh, or makeup, well-deserved, um, even when we talk about, you know, maybe the beginning of the film with Fred Ward. But uh, yeah, Brad, the elephant in the room is that um, mid-'80s action film comes out. A Korean master is portrayed by <laughs> a, a white actor. What do you say, man? <laughs> I mean, I, is that the that that I? Okay, so full disclosure. It's t- it's it's tough going back thirty five years. It is. And I mean, this was common practice. Um, 
it's not unheard of of the time. And even up until I remember seeing short circuit and thinking the guy, the Indian guy was an Indian guy and he's actually not. Um, so, I mean, there are examples of this where it's, um, pretty blatant. Um, I don't know if the makeup and all that stuff makes it even more offensive because I, I don't know how to take it. So that's why I'm glad John's here because I don't want to be offended if I don't need to be. So I'll, I'll kind of let John steer me in the right direction. I, yeah, I'm no, curious. I mean, so, so, you know, for us movie buffs, we realize, I mean, even back in the early, go back to Shakespeare, right? Some of the women's roles were played by men. Um, Chinese cinema, same thing. Yeah, it, it happens. You know, back then, it's not like today. Today, today is kind of like handicapping a lot of folks because it's it's like instant access, they get instant information. You know, it's like you know I got a need, satisfy it real quick, real quick. Whereas back, back in the '80s, like if it was a great story, a great movie, a great TV show, a great song, we just loved it. It didn't matter, you know what, you know the underlying actor really was if he delivered or she delivered well and that's what mattered i think that's the key if they delivered yeah um because there there are many examples in hollywood i I always think of the you you mentioned dragon early on um as a reference point and i think that's a that's a great reference point for somebody um who looks back at hollywood and uh the role of uh breakfast at tiffany's yes and and how people might have found that offensive um one of the things, and I and Brad, I think you watched this via streaming, right? I did on, uh, it was so it was in HD, which made it kind of stand out even more. The makeup doesn't hold up, <laughs> yes, to yeah. uh, Extra high definition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, lost oh from thirty-five millimeter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I I lent John the Blu-ray I have, yeah. which is the Twilight Time like special edition. Um, Sorry, and, that that's funny to me. <laughs> Well, what's even funnier is I, I I went back and said, well, he's I already watched it on Blu-ray, but I wanted to go watch again. I forgot I had the Pan and Scan DVD, so I said, oh, I'm going to sit back and watch it. On, because I remember watching this on VHS or HBO over and over again, and it wasn't its full theatrical, so I wanted to know how it held up. Yeah. But um, there's a great documentary on there, and even if you read about this film, um, there is a lot of work that went on behind the scenes to find a actor, and I believe they actually went after Korean actors. They tried. Yeah, yeah. and Joel Gray originally turned um, this down. Right, because he did not want to stereotype yes. the whitewashing, quote-unquote, uh, actor from an Asian. You know, yeah, Korean. and and I guess somebody um, came over and said, well, we want to do this makeup test. They, they really pursued him. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because um, even Joel Gray today, I guess according to his interview on that Blu-ray. To, and look, folks, if um, if you if you love this film, you got to pick up the Blu-ray. And apparently, there's a really good um, UK version uh, from Arrow, uh, which I ordered. It's not here yet. <laughs> um, but uh, the it, it is fascinating to me that here's an actor who they pursued. Um, and when you see the end result, I think um, I, I don't find it offensive. Although it, no, I mean, I, I'm, so, I'm the white guy, but um, yeah. I, I just it it's done so well. And even Joel Gray says to this day he gets you know uh, I guess stopped on the street yeah. for cabaret and Remo Williams. Yeah, mostly Remo Williams. Mostly Remo Williams. Mostly yeah. Remo. So yeah, it's kind of like put it in perspective. So again, you know, being Korean growing up, my mom being Korean, um, you know, back then we had to wait 
almost I think it was a full year maybe I think sometimes it was two years for the VHS tapes to come out right mm-hmm. and back back then in the 80s you know if you if you bought a VH a VCR it, it, it was like five eight hundred dollars depending on the model you bought um, so my dad he, he he liked a lot of action movies and Remo Williams was one of the VHS tapes, tapes that he bought um, so my mom I'm watching it there one day uh, with my brother and my mom walks in and she's like, Johnny, Johnny, what you watching? What you watching? I was like, oh, this is uh, Remo Williams. This is the guy. And I try to explain. It. And I said, and he's Korean. She looks at the TV. He not Korean. <laughs> <laughs> so she knew right out of the gate. She, she knew right out of the gate. Um, so it, it didn't really hit me because she actually sat and watched with us. And she was laughing her butt off. Because of the character that he brought out uh-huh. as this Korean master, you know. So yeah, I think in the interview he talked about it actually, you know, he did the makeup and he went into little Koreatown. Yeah. And um, you know, he he quote passed the test. I said, well, he must have been walking pretty far across the street <laughs> from little <laughs> Koreatown, um, because my mom, like I said, even then VCRs and you know yeah. TVs weren't great. I mean, she knew right away. Well, and it's, I guess, also, again, don't want to spoil anything that's on special yeah. features. Brad, you you got you to gotta watch it. Yeah. Go buy it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, it was good. But apparently people who did uh, audition for this walked in um, claiming that they had already um, studied Shinanju for <laughs> years <laughs> yeah. um, to try and get the role. Which brings us to the next point. Screenplay by Christopher Wood based on the Destroyer series by Warren Murphy and Richard Sapir. So the Destroyer series... Um, for, for those who don't know, uh, it's a series of paperback novels. It was first published in 1971. It actually was written, the first one I think was in 63. And there are over 150 books um, out there on the Destroyer, and they're still making them. They're still making them. Yes. Um, and Marvel Comics did series uh, yes. for it. Yep. Uh, so it's, in terms of a property, it's, you know, from a literary perspective, it had its origins in the literary world. Yeah. Um, and it's still going strong, apparently. So, um, are, are we ready to get into this thing? Yes, please. <laughs> you you want to start, Brad? Yeah. Uh, is this a real movie? What do you mean, is this a real movie? <laughs> is this a real movie? I, um, guys, what did you make me watch? <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I went. So I went into this movie expecting an '80s action movie to the tone of Rambo, um, Commando, mm-hmm. something in that nature. And what I got was a film that was trying to play more on the humor side. Um, and then knowing that one of the main characters was a white guy playing a Korean guy, I think hindered it a little bit. And I had zero idea what was going on in this movie. And the first hour was some of the slowest cinema I think I've seen in a long time. It was, uh, really, it was was tough. It was really tough. It was, uh, really slow. I, I try to keep the phone away when I'm trying to really watch stuff, but this one had me reaching pretty early. Plus the opening credits were like 17 minutes long. I was like, come on guys. Like it does not need a 17 minute like credit scene. Um, it's got fantastic music to it. 
I will say um, it was weird because, like, I also was noting noticing some weird, like, ADR with some of the, like, like the side characters when, like, um, the Statue of Liberty scene, you obviously, like, all that dialogue with the guys going up the, the little elevator thing was ADR. It's just, I don't know, it, it seems like they had $40 million, but they spent $39 million on turning a white guy into a Korean guy. Like, I don't know where all the money went. <laughs> so, uh, I know, I know tomorrow or whenever, when my wife hears this, she's going to give me, we're going to have a divorce. Um, <laughs> so I apologize in the future, but I just, I guess, you know, when you don't have nostalgia for stuff, you're, you're a little bit, uh, a little outside of the whole crowd on this. I, I don't get it. And I tried, I really tried. I really tried so hard. That that's interesting. So I'm, I'm I, sorry. I, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think your point, you know, um, as Troy said, we're, he and I are close to age, and you know, being a, a kid and actually seeing it in the movie theater, and again, being being a kid of the '80s, um, it, we didn't have instant access to everything. So when a movie came out, we got to see it. We try to remember it and, you know, enjoy it as much as we can because we couldn't go grab our phones. I mean, unless it had like the 20 foot extension cord on it, but it's always <laughs> snapped back. Um, we had no nothing to download. The Internet wasn't really, you know, ours to use back then, even then. Um, it, it was just one of those the, as the movies came out. That was that was like one of our escapes as out, besides playing outside. But, because, but there were so many other better movies. Well, and better that's, action whoa, movies. And that's, I, hold on. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, there's there's very like Commando. Back then I saw it as a kid. I was like, oh, this was awesome. I watch it now. I'm thinking, what in the living? What did I just watch well, here? Yeah, but <laughs> Commando is still a good film. I, I, I look at it this way. Like the, the thing that I've always loved about Remo Williams is I classify it more as an adventure film with action, yeah. but it, it is more about... Uh, there's comedy in it, yes. but I don't think it's broad comedy. Um, I, I And I think that's important. Comedy's a loose term, but yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 think, I think it's very interesting that this came out, like, what, a week after Commando? Because this is trying to play in the same sandbox, but use different tools. Was it the week after? Yes. Yeah. So Commando comes out yeah, before so it, this. It was going up against some heavy hitters back then. It, it, it was. And I still think this is a it is a fantastic heavy hitter. And and when I think about the $40 million budget, I would have the same knee-jerk reaction and go, wow, that sounds really expensive. But if you take a, you take a step back and you look at the action sequences, not just the Statue of Liberty... Um, but a lot of the stuff that is happening across the film, um, I, most of the action is taking in, um, best to explain it, it's, it's very aerial. Yes. So it's happening on top of buildings. It's happening on top of the Statue of Liberty. Even when they get into the proving grounds for the big climax, et cetera, um, you know, they're yeah. running through explosions, <laughs> which some of those explosions, I mean... I thought the guy was going to die. I really. saw one. It literally blew up, like, right on yeah, him. Right? I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they killed the stuntman. It did. And, you know, you, the more you read about this film, uh, apparently Fred Ward did a lot of his stunts for this. Yes, he did, uh, I think, like, um, almost 50% of his own stunts. Yeah, at least. And and what I what I find about the action <clears throat> on this one is it's unique. And, and even something when they're hanging on the uh, Ferris wheel, the Wonder Wheel, 
and going through it. It's him climbing around this thing, and I still think it's very unique. It's exhilarating because it's not CGI. It's very practical. Yeah. The editing is tight. Um, and well, uh, you could you could see the parts. guy you could see the guy like attached to the thing though like yeah but I, hell it's, I, it's it's one chord it's like the Statue of Liberty scene when he's hanging yeah, on a pole yeah, yeah it's dude he's hanging on a pole that's leaning out from the Statue of Liberty there no, is I get a, it there is a cord but that's one cord in one hand that's holding him to that yeah, thing not to mention if that pipe had snapped oh uh, that cord's not really gonna help you anymore. yeah not at all <laughs> um, and I did a little research so the stunt coordinator was Glenn H Randall Jr. And if you see a picture of this guy, he looks like the 70s Hal Needham stunt guy, right? But if you go and look at the stuff that he did, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was very versatile. E.T., Poltergeist, Return of the Jedi, Never Say Never Again, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Raw Deal, Inner Space, Time Cop. His list goes on. So I think they did a good job in finding the right stunt team, stunt coordinator. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the action scenes, even though um, in today's standard... You would say, oh, CGI, you see you see Tom Cruise do something or whatever. Yeah, he's hanging out on the side of a plane, but it's not just his grip, right? Right. He's attached to something. They use computers to yeah. to, to hide that stuff. Yeah. But I, I still find everything, the, the stunt work and the action, still very unique and exhilarating. Yeah, it's, 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 again, you have to appreciate what, again, they had back then to what, what they could do now. I mean, sure. hell, you and I, right now, we can go out in the back, shoot something, I can get on After Effects and photoshop and we can just oh my god this is the most amazing movie we ever we had. would look amazing you know right it'd be crazy um and it's funny you mentioned the wonder world part because um my group of friends when we went to go see the movie we saw the wonder world we started wigging out because we're like oh my god are the warriors going to come out and play too <laughs> yeah <that's, laughs> it's a nice iconic and, and the dog scene I love the dog scene. The dog scene was unique, yeah. um, but I always thought, even as a kid, it, it, it they, they stretched it out way too long. I'll, yeah, I yeah. think it goes on a little too long, yeah. but I, I like the fact... What 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 was it about the 80s? Because Fletch had a smart dog scene too, right? Yeah, it was a Doberman. Doberman, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess that was the trend there. Yeah. Um, it was the same dog, I think. It was? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> Should look at his resume? Yeah. So, uh, I, I have a question. Yeah. Can you tell me what this movie is about? Really? Like, so, okay, so he's like a, he is a cop, and then, okay, so here's my first, like. With an awesome nose job. Yeah, so, yeah. (laughs) Jennifer Aniston before, Jennifer Aniston behind. Yes. So, okay, there's only two guys, previous to him joining the little group, there's only two guys in the group, right? What him and you don't know historically you don't know cure which okay. is the organization but Wilford Brimley says now there's three when yep. he like yep yeah who are the two scuba divers like how do they get there probably, what probably a subcontract so okay That's how the so, government works right yeah. okay outsourced outsourced okay. <laughs> I got you okay okay the easy explanation yeah. okay so he works for a, a shadow government group yes and there is a evil corporation man. Who is building faulty weapons? He's he's stealing from the government, basically. Yeah, yeah faulty weapons and contractual fraud. And what Pretty was much. this? Yeah. What was the satellite thing? Was it? That was the fraud. That was the fraud. Okay. He, he was he was billing. Ba- he was basically telling the government, "I'm taking all this money for all these yeah. defense contracts, right, and um, making millions." 
and <clears throat> at the end of the day not really delivering anything or if he was delivering something it was faulty weaponry yeah so the, the uh, uh, yeah and so for the satellite the promise was oh listen yeah i know i know i told you we're gonna have harp ready star wars defense system like right, thing right but we just had some major breakthroughs and mm-hmm. we're close to having a 2.0 version Yes. But we need a little bit more money to finish 2.0. But we'll think you'll really be happy with it. And so on and so forth. So he just kept basically uh, stringing them along. Yeah. And, and I think what you're trying to say here, Brad, is maybe one of the critiques of the film um, that people will walk into is there is not a memorable villain. Like they, no, because they're all crusty white guys. And you're like, is that the villain or is no, that crusty no, white guy no, the villain? No, we forgot, we, we forget about Mr. Tiffany. Oh, the henchman. <laughs> There's a henchman with the Stone. gold, yeah, yeah, with his diamond tooth or whatever. Cubic zirconia. But yeah, I mean that. That's again. Yeah. This is a little bit of the. Why don't we just like, hey, we can't call him Jaws, and he, we want something about, you know, with his oh, tooth or something. Cooper. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's trying to be yes. a James Bond film without yeah. the the major James Bond villain, right? You know, the Goldfinger or something of that nature, right. and so it. It is trying to ground itself right. in some type of reality. And at the end of the day, let's face it, it is <laughs> that villain probably has more prominence in today's world yeah. and is more accurate to what's going on yeah. <laughs> than right. anything else. <laughs> right. But from a movie standpoint, you were making fun about the uh, episode one and the trade, you know, negotiation yeah. and stuff like that. So this does now, I don't think it's a mistake. I actually think that's one of its charms. It puts the emphasis on Ramon Chun. Um, and, but I, I can see people coming away and saying, I don't, I don't understand the villain. It, it yeah. seems a little plain Jane vanilla. It, yeah. What's not memorable. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I told, yeah, I agree with you to your point. You know, they try to keep it on Remo and Chun, but unfortunately, Wilford Brimley, he kind of like ruins the whole premise. You know, you know to ask questions like, what is this movie about? We're a secret organization that goes outside of the law to seek justice. No. Yeah, yeah. They're, that's what he says. They, yeah. But he doesn't sugarcoat. He just basically tells them they're assassins. Yeah. And it's but then, but the then, 11th commandment. You right. shall not get away with it. <laughs> right. But then, you know, you know, like three quarters of the way through the movie, he's like, you know, after the satellite explodes. Yeah. You know, he's like, well, all our evidence in court is now gone. Like, what happened to operating outside the court's? It does seem weird. Like, you know what I mean? So. They're assassins that need evidence, and then once the evidence is blown up, <laughs> yeah. then you can go and assassinate yeah, them. Yeah, right? Yes. Well, and then he's also using, like, cameras to spy on people, and I'm like... Cameras uh, with lasers. Cameras with lasers. I don't know. Mm-mm. Not in 1985. Not in 1985. Uh, well, let, let's let's talk about this. Um, it's an 80s film, so in true 80s fashion, the computer... Right, oh, is where it's you get all machine. of your exposition, gets <laughs> yeah. all of your plot. So anytime they transit, and the computer is freaking everywhere. It's in the guy's car. It's in, yeah. But you know they advance the plot, so you you know it's time to tell you a little bit about. This. See, here's the problem, Brad. You didn't listen to the computer because if you listened to the computer, <laughs> and we're playing on your computer, your phone, <laughs> you would have known what has gone on in this film. But the computer. Like, sure, it's all my, on, it's all my fault. Brimley sits there and is like, well, this is what the movie's about, right? right. And here's your bad guy. Yeah. Then back to Ramon Chun. Yeah. So, which is so so. Here's a little, uh, you know, irony that I, I found with it too, because I still, I'm still not a 100% sure, but I'm 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 almost positive that the computer he was using back then was called a K Pro. Right. What? It's an IBM knockoff. Of the personal computer, it was a I've... Commodore Vic Twenty. No, no, no. It, it, it literally, if you if you watch closely, it's yeah. like blurred. It says K A something and an R O. So I think it's a K Pro. 
You really are Donatello. I tell you what, because <laughs> here's the funny part, right? Because we saw that thing. We're like, oh, man, these computers. Computers are awesome. They're really – look at what they can do. Well, after we saw it in 85, my dad got stationed in Germany. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends that I used to live with on Fort Meade, his dad got stationed uh, about six months earlier. So he and I hooked up. You know, basically, we, we were still buddies. But, yeah, we're in Germany now, right? His dad actually bought a K-Pro computer. Did that it do everything exactly? that Wilford Brimley's K-Pro computer did? Hell no. Oh, okay. it was, It was just like you see in the documentaries where um, it's that lime green text and it can only do... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brad is... Oh, wow. Oh, no, that's not a K-Pro. That's a Commodore. That looks that's like a Commodore. Commodore 64. Yeah. Hey, what? it says K-Pro. No, Two computer. $332? No, yeah, this whatever. was back then. Okay, this, sorry. <laughs> so, trust me, back yeah. then, the K-Pro, it was that, that huge monster machine where, um, say the video card, right? Yeah. That only drove two colors, black or three colors, black, white, and that lime green mm-hmm. for the text, uh, was like $2,000 alone. Oh, my God. Yeah, these things were expensive. And after I saw that computer, and I'm like, son of a gun, they lied to us. I can't watch video and <laughs> no, you can't. I don't. I, I, I think now we know Wilfred Brimley's computer would not do that in no. 1985. No. But I, I have a question, Brad. So um, obviously, Remo Williams did not win you over. But let's talk about the Statue of Liberty because mm. it's on the poster. It's it's on the Remo Williams novelization, right? Yeah. Him hanging from the Statue of Liberty. I think in the trailer, it's it's pretty prominent. Um, and I think <clears throat> even people I talk to when we talk about eighties action films and I bring this up and most people will go, Oh, I, I don't remember that. And then you explain it. And they're like, is that, is that the one where the guy is like hanging on the statue of Liberty? That is, I, I think, um, it's a big sequence, right? And right. to your point, Brad, a lot of money got spent there behind the scenes. They were actually shooting during the reconstruction or the update of the statue of Liberty. But at the same time, they went and had to go build a replica in Mexico um, because they could do everything on the scaffolding and around the Statue of Liberty, but they couldn't climb on. Yeah, they couldn't touch her. <laughs> they couldn't touch her, right? So um, they they do an entire sequence where he is training with Chun to get over his, his you know, fear of heights. Um, and these true, typical, maniacal 80s henchmen, right? Right. Um, try to throw him off of it. I believe they're subcontracted henchmen. I think they just got some money and then they became henchmen. They did. I it think was like you're right. Thirty bucks or something. I don't recall <laughs> seeing any other henchman that actually makes the guy count out what they're paying. It's usually, <laughs> here's a stack of bills. Okay, we're good to go. Yeah. He's like, no, one hundred. Already, they're showing you, <laughs> you know? what the James Bond films don't. The behind the scenes of how they hire. Yeah, henchmen. we always want to see that transaction happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Brett, I mean, what you. What did you think of that scene? I mean, was it not impressive? No, it was impressive. The problem is, is there's an hour of the film left after it, and you're like, oh. okay. No, because, like, it climaxes there. Like, You think the, so? It, the end climax isn't as good as the Statue of Liberty. I don't think so. I think the Statue of Liberty is better than the kind of the military base. Yeah, I think it's more exciting because I have a fear of heights, and so, you know, the, the him being up top and – hanging and jumping around and um i thought that was better than the end set piece so I, I i just think the problem is is that's over with and there's 50 minutes left and you're like okay and then it never kind of really reaches that height again i think 
they can't do it because of the story wise, but the Statue of Liberty should have been the end of the movie. And it doesn't work for story purposes, I know, but it, it just, it seems like it's a better, they put it on the poster. Like they even knew, I, I just think, right? I'm not no, wrong. I, I, to, to a point you're, yeah, you're because, wrong. Go ahead. You know, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even as kids, you know, we were talking about all the stuff and we lo- we did love, um, the action sequence on the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty. I mean, to the point, cause you know, again, eighties, we didn't have all this fancy stuff we do. So we were outside playing, climbing trees and all that good stuff. So we were actually recreating some of those scenes where he's trying to like, you know, cross the, you know, the railing and stuff. But you know, one of the things even we were asking was like, wait, he, he's being trained as an assassin. Why did he let those guys live? Yeah, he does. He does. Doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. I mean, even to the point where I guess this is a trick chin taught him because he tied the rope around the dude's neck but then he and comes threw him out, out, and then he's hanging by his foot. Right. I think I think that's the ratings board stepping in and saying <laughs> you can only kill so many people in yeah. this film. But yeah, it, it to us we were, we had that question, but it kind of paid off like at the end when you know he finally gets to feather step across the cement. <laughs> that I, Brad. Th- so this is the thing when when you see that, and I, I think I got to ask John this question. So there there are things when you grow up in in a film and you see something and you go well I'm going to try that right so when you, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. when you go to like the public swimming pool and then you're like dude I'm going to see how far I can run across the water just like Remo does her float um we we tried that at the swimming did you ever do that oh John? absolutely okay yeah, pool 2 on Fort Meade I think the best anyone did was my old friend Mike I'm still in touch with him once in a while he got 3 steps before oh, okay. he splooshed that's pretty good <laughs> yeah and that's only because he took like a 50 foot running start. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I'll, I'll give you this. The statue, I think that is hands down the best action sequence, but I still like the stuff um, that they do at the proving grounds, especially the explosion. <laughs> like I want, you see one guy almost like bite it, um, which is yeah. pretty thrilling. I, I love the whole uh, truck sequence, but specifically the um, aerial shots of the log. And again, what I find impressive about this film is most of the action is taking place in high places, aerial mm-hmm. places. I think the the cinematography for it is really good. Um, and it really displays with Fred Ward doing a lot of the stunts, you know, just the danger and the excitement of it. Now, does the Aberdeen, or sorry, Aberdeen, Aberdeen Proving Grounds, because we live next to a Proving Grounds, actually. Um, but does the Proving Grounds sequence, like, um, top the Statue of Liberty? No, I, I don't think so. I, I agree no. with you. It's on the poster, it's on everything, because it's the best sequence of the film. Story-wise, it would have been awesome if it maybe ended that way, but I, I, I like how they take care of things with the with the villains at the end of this one. Yeah, and I will say too, being an army brat, um, when that whole scene hit, you know, we're all sitting in our theater going, "That's not right. Really? That's not right." Oh yeah, you know, <clears throat> go to sit you two, sit you two. We're like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. So they don't have that kind of banter over the radio. It's Situation Two, right? We all know what Situation Two is. I, thank you, like, Brad. It's more it's more elevated than Situation One, which I mean, obviously means you know, you know it's it, worse. It, it, it got to the point like, like for me, yes, I was impressed with the cinematography. Like when he's hanging on the tree. Yeah, and, and there's the aerial stuff. Yeah. back to earth shot. I'm like, how do they get the camera on there? Because it is moving. Yeah. Like how do they do that shot? But then yeah, there were some things where I don't know if you guys caught it where it's like. They must have only been able to use a certain stretch of road for like 30 minutes because the same target tank, number mm-hmm. 14, goes past them twice. 
probably. I'm sure if they're actually doing it at the proving grounds. Yeah. Uh, I know out here you can't go near the proving grounds yeah, or else they yeah. shoot you. So, but yeah, the ones that like Brad mentioned, yeah, he's running through the woods and the explosion goes off and he literally steps like two feet. Yeah, to the left, dead. the one that goes right off. I'm like, oh wow. Um, and and interesting about the so about the Statue of Liberty apparently. Uh, so one of the producers on the film, I don't know if you caught this, Brad, was Dick Clark. So I, I saw it was a Dick Clark production. Yeah, American bandstand Dick Clark yeah. um, produced some films, and apparently he was crucial in getting the whole Statue of Liberty sequence filmed. Um, and as a result of that, part of the deal was not only did he handle the negotiations to get the filming permits and everything for that, um, but in turn he had to agree to appear in some Statue of Liberty PSA uh, commercials and stuff. So, interesting little tidbit. But uh, again, I that sequence in and of itself to know at the end of the day half was filmed in mexico half was filmed uh, on the statue of liberty and how they edit it and merge it together i I think it's pretty seamless and i will say too you know especially you know with quote-unquote current events you know looking back at that statue of liberty scene just seeing some of the the cinematography that they did and some of the background pieces they brought in um New York City was just still just as gorgeous then as it is today, oh, yeah. minus you know, heart, unfortunately, you know, the Twin Towers, you know, because I had forgot that they included those in several of the the shots and panning around of the Statue of Liberty, it's like, and then looking at it like, you know, they 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 filmed all this on all this scaffolding. They didn't have CGI or that, green that's room. a good point. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it was awesome. I love movies that have the city as much of a character yeah. as the characters. Yes. And I, I think it pulls off right. um, very well in, in this film. Which I think, you know, what Brad was asking, like the intro, I'm sitting there, you know, even now as a kid, get yeah, kids, we're kids. Yeah. Get to the movie. Hurry up. Hurry up. But now as an adult, <laughs> I'm looking at, the, I'm like, are they trying to show buildings? And I swear to God, I got to do- double check it. One of the shots is the hotel scene room from Blue Thunder where he goes into whisper mode and he tries to like sneak in oh uh, man but i'm like is that the same room and they because they would use yeah. the wonder wheel from the warriors so yeah. i'm like i wonder if they just like hey i gotta borrow that for a little bit but yeah but brad was probably playing on his phone i was not <laughs> <laughs> i'm on level 12 candy crush come on i'm, come just, on. Ki- I'm kidding <laughs> i know you Don't i know you me. i know you um so i want to go back to tune um i i get it brad i i can totally understand not uh, even watching the trailer to this film. I think it's a little bit misleading because the trailer is high, you know, highlight sequence, mm-hmm. highlight sequence, etc. To me, the thing, as much as I love the action, the thing that I have always loved about this film is Chun. Yes. Like he is one of my all-time favorite characters. Yes. Um, and what is fascinating, and I, I think this is, uh, you and I, Brad, are, are always um, talking about trends that we've discovered already in, what, four episodes. <laughs> so in, ep- in episode two of Not a Bomb, when I recommended Coneheads, which is another film Brad wasn't too keen on. Oh, it's a good movie. Uh, Funny agree, movie. Agree. <laughs> but hey, Brad, good news about Remo Williams. It's over 88 minutes, so by yeah, default, good, you should like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I... I I did not know Coneheads. I knew I know it was a Saturday Night Live skit, but I didn't know that they had shot a pilot to try and turn it into an animated TV series like The Flintstones. Oh yeah, to- had no idea about that. So oh, yeah. as I'm as I'm doing my Remo work, and I thought I knew everything about Remo Williams, right? And then I stumble across something, and they're like, "Yeah, 1988 failed TV pilot." Remo Williams, The Prophecy, or something. I'm like, "Are you yeah, kidding pro- me?" Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I sent you guys that link, and I I think did you both watch it? Yeah. 
You didn't? No, no chance no. I was going to watch no. it after that movie. Oh, my God. Okay, so um, watching that pilot solidifies why I like Chun so much and why I think Joel Grey do, just does a just a fantastic job with that character. Yes. Um, and I think it also illustrates why his portrayal of that character is so respectful um, because I think the strength of his acting – there's comedic elements to it, right? Yes. So Chun loves American soap operas. Yes. I mean that that's his thing. Um, one of my favorite sequences is he wins a stuffed pink panther. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and who's the actor that uh, he's in Christmas Vacation? Oh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, that's a uh, uncle, um, great uncle. I know you're talking about. It's yeah, a, smoking his cigars and Christmas. Yeah. yeah, okay. We're, yes, yeah. we're horrible. Yeah, we're hosting a movie podcasting. We can't remember people. We're like, hey, remember that guy? That guy <laughs> yeah. that was in that film. Remember the guy, yeah. The guy. Yeah. So and and then through the rest of the film, that Pink Panther is in the background. Yeah. Right. Um. So it's those little characters. But Chun, I I think why I love it so much. And if you watch the TV pilot, so what's interesting about the TV pilot is the actor who plays Chun in the TV pilot is Roddy McDowell. And so it makes sense, possibly from a visual perspective. I think Roddy McDowell, Joe Gray, you know, very similar. But if you watch Roddy McDowell's portrayal of it, it it's is horrible. it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, I do think somebody would look at that and go, "Oh, that that is a little offensive." Yeah. I mean, oh, it, hell no. Yeah, it yeah. plays for the the. It goes after the stereotype yeah. a little too much. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it, it, it's funny you mention that because you know, like you mentioned the soap opera, right? Yeah. Um, Funny, it it, it kind of is a stereotype because my mom, being full time Korean, she loves soap operas. Didn't watch anything else. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, she watched the movie. She was laughing a lot at the comedy parts. And the only thing, and you know, we'll probably touch on it later. But there's a few things that she didn't like because she thought this was supposed to be Korean. But yeah, as one of he loves soap operas. Well, yeah, my mom did. All my, all the ajumas that I know. Ajumas are like the aunts that kind of oh, okay. aunt, yeah. aunties and stuff like that um adishas and stuff like that um they were soap operas yeah that's that's an actual thing yeah and but but the way the introduction of it as a character trait and everything else like i was trying to pinpoint why i like chun so much and why i think his performance works it's because i think his performance comes from it it's not done so much as comedy but he's portraying it as a protective father figure that is striving for what he considers Korean perfection. Yes. And and the fact that there is so much like care, and he's really looking after Remo. Um, and and I love the sequence where Remo discovers, you know, uh, for those who have seen it, and and again we'll say this over and over probably as we do these podcasts. Uh, there's spoilers throughout the discussion. Oh, yeah. But when Remo finds out that you know Chun, if if things go sideways, is assigned to kill him. And Fred Ward has to deal with that information. Yeah. And even Chun talks about it. You, you see that a little bit of that heartbreak in Chun's heart where he's like, yeah, I'll yeah. do it because yeah. Emperor Smith says I have to. Yeah. But it it's not going to – he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, and I think it's – I think tackling that role from that aspect and saying, hey, hey, I'm a dad, right? And I would do the things that Chun would do and probably look comedic at doing it. But it comes from a place of, hey, I'm going to portray this character as like a parent. I don't know, Brad, does that help you with that? Yeah, I'm not saying that Chun isn't a good character. I just never really... I guess I didn't get the humor. I never found anything that he did to be very funny. I'm sorry. It's just... I I don't know. 
it, mean, it might it might just be because I just can't the knowledge that I had that it was a white guy playing a Korean guy it, that might have been a wall like and you couldn't I, get I'm over not, it yeah I I just don't know I don't know it's hard to say what it was or maybe I just didn't think it was funny um, well then can I ask you a question I mean are are you a martial arts movie fan oh yeah yeah so see and that's where I think part of it is too you know most of the older martial arts movies the master is always the hard ass if mm-hmm. i if i can say that word um you know it's so it was always <clears throat> you know <clears throat> i just want to make sure um you know it there was always that portrayal you know master is he has strength he is iron you will do what master says and you know the student is doing what he does mm-hmm. and you know and and, and to joel gray's credit um yeah, yes big things and and with korean culture is family and honor and, you know, making sure you take care of family or, or do the best for the family. So I think the comedic relief was kind of trying to break the mold from the old master-student right. portrayals, but trying to wrap it in that family ties type of situation. For me, it, it, again, it, I loved it. My mom loved it. And it, it worked for me. So what were the aspects? You, you said there were things that she was she loved it and she was laughing about it. Were there were there things or... Or that she said, hey, I, I don't like? Yeah, the set design. The what? The set design. Of what? Of, of Chun's apartment. Here is a Korean man with very little Korean furniture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, if you look at the kitchen scene where he's cooking, there is actually like a, uh, a, a traditional... Um, like table that you would carry food mm-hmm. on that he carries that that's traditional is his bowls yes copper bowls you need out of those um and one of the things that i actually picked up on uh having watched it again today because i love the movie everyone should love the movie was there's <laughs> a new brad <laughs> <laughs> there's a quick scene um on his countertop where i'm looking at this glass jar and i'm looking at it and i'm like is that kimchi Anybody who knows anything about Koreans, Korean is kimchi is like one of the biggest dishes out there. And I'm like, well, is that bachelor's kimchi? Because it just looks so god awful. Oh. And no, from what I understand and what I've always grown up with, no Korean keeps kimchi in a glass jar on a counter because kimchi ferments constantly. So. Yeah, it can get a little ripe up in there. I would not have picked that up. <laughs> yeah, but she, so she had a little little issue with, you know, she loved that she, he um, had some of the old traditional Korean garb. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just didn't like, you know, the Amer- she called it the Americanized apartment where there was very little traditional Korean furniture. And given how steeped he was in Korean tradition, when she was explaining that to us, it's like, I, I get it, Mom. Thanks. What's for dinner? Okay. Yeah. Well, what was it also Wilford Brimley's uh, racial slur that he also says too? Oh yeah, he. No, nah, I mean because again, the different times growing up, you know, heard it all. Mm. Yeah, there's. I, I mean, it it definitely wears its eightiness on its sleeve yeah. in some scenes. Um, I I think that adds uh, it adds to its complexity. Um, yeah. there, there are elements of it that you go, oh, this is a great eighties. Um, you know, it, it's hard because I, I know Brad, we, we talked about this at one of our episodes. It, it's always interesting. Attack the block was another great example Oh yes. that as we're watching that film, looking at it at the time that we saw it, it was, 
an enjoyable genre oh, yeah. piece, etc. Looking at it through the lens now, you're like, oh wow, it, it's touching on things that I didn't pick up unless oh, yeah. stuff was happening now. And even with this one, to your point, Brad, I think it's another interesting kind of experiment to say, well, here's a person that given the times and given the sensitivity of roles and everything else, um, and you know, I'd be, I guess I don't ask people this question, so I, I would be curious of even listeners who are, are listening to this, the two or three, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, can you approach a film given in the current time knowing as it was made back then so as an example remo williams Mm -hmm. white guy taking korean role um does that become a border that always sits in the back of your mind and and it prohibits you from enjoying it or enjoying the performance and and i guess brad in your case and i don't mean to put words in your mouth but it's one of those that if there's not enough things for you to latch onto in the film, then it's those details that come out, right? Yeah, because like you know, I, I like a lot of '80s stuff too, and a lot of um, '80s, especially comedies, um, Breakfast Club stuff like that. They always use the slur for gay people in that, and it's really hard to listen to now. But I think because I have somewhat of a nostalgia, have a past with those movies, I think I give it more of a pass than I did this one because I don't really have that sort of reverence for this movie. And, you know, I'm always going to give a pass to things I know better than what I don't, you know, again, it's kind of the Quentin Tarantino thing. Like he always gets a lot of uh, guff for using the N word in his movies, not him personally, but like his films, they say the N word quite a bit. Um, that's okay with me, I guess. Um, but you know, a white guy playing a Korean guy in a movie I'd never seen before, I guess was a step too far. Um, and that's totally on me. I mean, I am I'm saying that I could be the problem. Um, again, I I don't have nostalgia for this movie, so it, it was already going to have like an uphill battle. Um, because it wasn't the eighties action film that I thought. And I think you put it, correctly Troy that it's when they say adventure begins like this is an adventure movie it's um not supposed to be a typical 80s action movie um he's not you know Schwarzenegger he's not gonna kill 47 guys um with one clip yeah yeah (laughs) so so again maybe if if people haven't gone back to this and they've seen it before they might have an easier way about it. Um, for me being my first time and not even knowing Remo Williams existed until like three weeks ago. Um, you know, it was, it was a uphill battle the whole way for me. So, wow. So I, I guess, um, that gets to the question at hand, which is, is this film a bomb? Um, obviously from a, um, financial perspective when it came out total bomb critics and i think it's interesting brad critically uh and and i kind of looked at some of the things that were coming out at the time when you know this film was coming out what people were saying of about it it was like um roger ebert was doing comparisons to this film to raiders of the lost ark mm. so he's he's saying hey i enjoyed it i give it a you know two and a half so it's a pass but he wasn't equating it to the commandos and everything else. But I, I think you point out, Brad, he's equating it to other adventure films. 
and yeah. you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, that type of thing. Yeah. It's an adventure film, right? Yeah, it's it's an adventure film that set up the sequels, and I think Remo, in some ways, missed that mark, and sometimes hit that mark. But at the same time, too, I always thought it was poor timing on what they were going up against cinema-wise sure. to draw on the audience to really say that, hey, guess what, guys? We got a successful thing here. Let's let's do number two. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because um, this film hits critique media. So Twilight Time, as an example, releases it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and the Blu-ray goes for a pretty good penny. Um, Arrow, which is another critique, you know, releases it in the UK. It's not something that's easily available, but yet critique, you know, um, or not critique, but the, these boutique specialties yes. are, are releasing it because it has a cult following, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I think we'd agree from a historical standpoint, you've got a group of people out there. Obviously, the Destroyer books and everything else are a big deal for that base. Um, and heck Shane Black, uh, every time you, you look at something from Remo, <laughs> Shane Black apparently owns the rights and is trying to develop it now. So, you know, they're, they're trying to bring it back as a property. I'd be curious what they, uh, bring it back as, um, but I- is it a bomb? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. I would say a hundred percent. Yes, but it's a bitty, it's a fanatical. Yes. For me, it's, it's, <laughs> it was pretty, uh. I wouldn't say terrible. It was just, it was, I, my biggest problem with this movie is I was bored a lot of it. Okay. And, um, yeah, especially that first hour. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, Make so, and if, and if you don't buy into the characters, <clears throat> if you don't buy into it, cause it, it is, it is character heavy, right? There's adventure sequences and they're trying to establish the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the question I have for you then, Brad is this a film, and this will be interesting because if you look at the other movies on our list, and, and this is one of the things that we talked about when we established it, the whole idea was not to pick a bunch of films that we we both universally agreed were, hey, this is not a bomb. We wanted to put things out there that we were going to have a, a differing opinion on. Um, and there's already some things that are coming up that I know that you like that I have a question on. Um, so... Uh, so far, I think uh, of the four films, I've I've agreed 100%. They're not a bomb, and I've picked two of them. Um, do you think this is something that take your scenario? You walked into it with um, really zero knowledge about it, right? Because mm-hmm. even when I mentioned this, you're like, "Well, what is that?" Yeah. And then I sent you the trailer, and you go, "Oh, Orion." Well, I'm interested, right? Yeah. Just based yeah. on the company, um, is this something you think? Anybody who has not been exposed to it or doesn't have nostalgia for it, would they like this film? That's, I mean, I'm in that boat and I, and I'm, I had a tough time. I would say that, I mean, yes, it's just really tough. It's, you know, it doesn't go. So it's like adventure films now. So James Bond adventure kind of action to, but it's, there's a lot of globe trotting. There's you know different set pieces. There's um, memorable villains, and this kind of you know is New York City. The villain is kind of meh. Um, the action is you know there's a few scenes that are okay. One is pretty great. Um, so I, I just in <laughs> the the comedy I just never bought into. So. <laughs> 
you know, I, I know I'm out of you two going to, you know, be the, the lone voice on this, but it's just, it's a tough watch. And I think if you don't have that nostalgia for it, it's, it's not going to play. It's not going to, especially knowing more information about certain roles, um, might be tough too. So, well, listen, once the divorce happens, I know. we always have a bed over here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll take care of you. So, John, yeah. same question to you. Is, is this film a bomb? Technically, yes, it is a bomb. Um, to Brad's point, it, it's a very fair assessment. I mean, anyone who's never seen it and you, you tell them, hey, you got to check this out. Um, after they watch it, they're probably going to come and punch you. Really? Yeah. You know, because a lot of folks, again, it, it was different time, different era. And... Unless you grew up with it, and, and to Brad's point, you know that nostalgic factor to it, you know, and just trying to understand, you know, what the movie was, what it's going for, and 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 the humor in it, which to me was fun, again, because um, again, martial arts movies, all that stuff, Master's mm-hmm. bad, and he's like, you know, put your arms up, and then he, I did not, tell <laughs> I did you not to tell you to keep, them, keep them there, yeah, you know, it, it, it's great. Um, but for like a, a more modern audience, I think the, I think the hardest part for some folks to like try and travel back in time to mm-hmm. see movies like this is that they, tr- they they can't insert themselves into that era. I mean, they'll try to apply, you know, some standards from today into that era. You know, like even if they went to go back to the future. Right. Right. You know, um and try to watch it. So I'm like, uh, I've actually had some friends like, uh, it was all right. It was a great, really back yeah, to the future, yeah, back to the future. Oh, part okay. one. Um, because they kept trying to, you know, insert today to what it was when it was le- released. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think people have trouble with that. And uh, again, I, Brad, that's a fair, a very fair assessment. You know, I think folks, again, who just, who just didn't grow up in that era and grew up with a movie or, you know, really had a chance to experience, in that time period, it'd be hard for them to catch up where you and I, you know, you want to watch it again real quick? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> All day. And, and here's where I would probably def, def, probably have a different opinion on it is that um, if you go back to 80s films and you're picking up the Stallones and stuff like that, I, I think they hit a cartoon level um, and they're more sold on the personality of like a Stallone or a Sebastian, you know, a, a Schwarzenegger, etc., um, and I, I, I don't discredit those. I love those films, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there's an audience out there um, that would discover this film and really enjoy it for taking the action genre and saying, okay, I'm going to put the, you know, concentrate a little bit more on the adventure, um, would buy into the comedy a little bit, the relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think they would look at this and say, you know, it maybe there's a couple of problems. Maybe you know they're they're really wanting a more memorable villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe to Brad's point, they go, well, man, after that New York sequence on the Statue of Liberty, um, the rest of the action sequences don't live up to that level of excitement. Right. Totally, totally get that. Right. But I don't think it's a bomb. And I think if you want to go back and get away from the cartoonish nature of a lot of the Schwarzenegger Stallone action films. Um, which have their place, right? Yeah, if you want to see a man dodge bullets, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. hey, if, <laughs> I know you're so, not going to watch the uh, the pilot, but yeah. if you watch that guy who played Remo dodge bullets versus Fred Ward, there's yeah. some acting going on <laughs> because the other guy doesn't do it well. Public yeah. service announcement, if you watch that pilot TV show, do not drink. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Um, can, can I clarify real quick? Yeah. Um, technically, uh, 
like I said, technically it is a bomb by the by the financial numbers from yeah. a movie story standpoint. I think it is a, a, a success. Yeah. But in, in terms of technical dollars and and distribution, and like I said, even some Koreans that I know, I think I, I kind of gave you a little insight. Um, um, there's a list of you know those actors. It's kind of an infamous list, infamous uh, Asian American character portrayals, and Remo Williams is on that list. Right. Um, but again, for me, like you said, the memories and stuff like Commando Rambo, I, I, I can't just go grab an M60 and just go have fun. But uh, me and my friends can, and we did, uh, try to dive into a mound of sand to see if we could just dive right in and pop out. <laughs> and after... I bet you Natalie did too. After Probably. a few close calls with what we thought were broken necks and backs, we realized, yeah, we can't dive into sand. I mean, those type of memories still are with me. So from that, it's a, it, it was a success. It and was a fun yeah. It was a fun journey and for I, me. I still think today people would discover it and kind of go, yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. I want to try that. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because my kids like this film. Now, again, my kids are unique. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to run across the pool and see how yeah. far they would get. So. And that's interesting you mentioned your kids because I know my kids, they they're, they would be in Brad's camp. They they find this a very tough watch. Um, yeah, and and again, I I I would still recommend this to I everybody. Too. I would too. And they might have the Brad reaction, or they might you know which is the wrong reaction. <laughs> or they might have the Natalie reaction, which is the right reaction. This is why I love Go your wife. Natalie. Your, your wife is so awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm just here. <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, there is something to it being a little bit more family friendly. Um, I was kind of surprised. I know 1985 PG-13 is different than now, but they said a lot of stuff like language-wise. Like, I'm not offended, but I was, I was just surprised at like what all they said for a PG-13 movie. Um, but there is something to say about being able to kind of watch an 80s action film with your family and not be, you know, covering people's eyes and people's, you know, bodies turning into spaghetti because they're getting shot all the time and stuff. So no, that's that's a good point. That's a I really think good point. Yeah. And and the other thing I find fascinating, I mean, um, there's there's no romance in this film. You, you think there's a hint of it, but it it doesn't go anywhere with that. I mean, it no. it really is concentrating on the relationship between Remo and Chun. Yep. Um. Oh. Uh, I, I just gotta say something. I don't. I don't know what you think about this. You you, you mentioned the opening credit sequence, Brad. Um, what I've always loved about the opening credit sequence was the music. Oh. So I I love the soundtrack to this film. You, you talked about Attack the Block last week in that soundtrack. This to yeah. me has that very orchestral '80s action film soundtrack to it. Yep. And I've always loved. I've always loved listening to it. I will say his theme music, like his little theme score it's actually yeah. not bad it's it's not bad it's good um so, so real quick question for you brad in in that theme there's there's the part that goes bang bang i think they actually captured you know someone slamming a shoe on a desk to get that bang bang where <laughs> i think it's a gunfire. It, i think it's, it's a gunshot gun <laughs> oh. i think it's the shoe slam but either way it was kind of unique it's like da, 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 da. bang bang yeah, I, I think they shot somebody. <laughs> um, one last piece of information. I never knew this. Like, I, I love doing these podcasts with you, Brad, because every time even... A Just film, because? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. we, but as 
as we've talked about, I mean, for the last nine, ten years plus, we every probably every other day we've talked movies, um, and doing the research on something so we can talk about it. Even the ones that I love, I'm always finding things I didn't know. So mm-hmm. with this one, it was, oh wow, there's a TV pilot that supposedly picks up yeah. right after. I just never knew that. Yeah. The other piece of information I never knew was that um, there was another actor up for this role. And he was um, working as a bartender at the time in Manhattan. Um, And he had just finished filming his first television pilot and was almost cast over um, Fred Ward. Can can you do you know who this was? Uh, Was it Mr. Edward Harris? Nope. Oh, I thought I read that somewhere. Maybe I was wrong. Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bruce Willis was up for this. So um, I I don't see Bruce Willis as Remo. No. Not at all. No. Well, um, John, anything else? I mean, I, I, I'm so happy. I, I'm so excited you you kind of agreed to this. This is our oh, and yeah. and forgive us for you know maybe shaking off the cobwebs. Uh, this is our first guest spot. Oh no, uh, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, honored. Oh, <clears throat> honored. Well, you were incredible, John. Well, thank you. No, you're supposed to say. Oh no. I'm no. Better. I am better. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> no, it, it was great because, again, this was a, a movie that I grew up with and I still watch today. And I know very few uh, folks that share an affinity for it, you know, such as yourself. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was just, it was a blast and I'm honored to be here. And I, I, I thank both of you for uh, letting me join in. This is this was awesome. It's fun. Um, Brad, we're, we're getting into an odd pick. <clears throat> yes. So is this, is this where now... We're operating off of a list, and Remo got, you know, bumped to number four. Um, I'm curious. Uh, let me see. So far, we've we've had a fantastic political action drama, Children of Men. We went back to the 90s with Coneheads, mm-hmm. then swung around for uh, sci-fi action horror with Attack the Block, um, then did 80s action with Remo Williams. Where are we going next? Brad. So we are going to stay in the action genre. Um, this one kind of, with doing Remo Williams, kind of made me bump this one up quite a bit because I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it kind of plays into this genre. So we were going to do the 1993 Arnold Schwarzenegger starring John McTiernan-directed Last Action Hero. <laughs> I am watching John's face right now. Oh, that's a big sigh. Uh, All righty then. <laughs> <laughs> now, Last Action Hero was way ahead of its time. I would just say that uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall and all that stuff, uh, Jack Slater was all about that. Um, so Had some action figures behind it too, right? Oh, yeah. yes. Yep. 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 So we're going to talk about that movie next week. Um, I'm really excited. I haven't gone back and seen last action hero in a long time so i'm um very curious to see how it holds up i know i watched that movie countless times growing up um is this a nostalgia pick for you oh 100 percent. okay oh interesting i I can honestly say i remember seeing the theater um yes i will reserve my comments of uh (laughs) what i thought about it in the theater and I've, i've watched it probably in the last couple of years again um, when uh, me and the kids are going through some Schwarzenegger, you know, films, uh, it's funny that you know when you look up Remo Williams, 
And the news that you see today is, you know, I think even as um, late as 2018, Shane Black is, a, is attached to any kind of remake for Rowan Williams. And, and wasn't Shane Black one of the writers on the last action? Era? I believe he was. Okay. That'll be interesting. Well, wow. That, that's a good pick, Brad. I'm, I'm curious. That's uh, a very interesting pick. Yeah. And I think it, it would be interesting. So at the time of that release, it was done as a parody to action films, right? Yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Um, And Schwarzenegger actually exists in this universe as Arnold Schwarzenegger and also Jack Slater. And um, yeah, it's it's a different action movie. And I'm, I'm hoping that it it is the Remo Williams inverse for me because I think it's um, something I remember loving growing up. Um, I, it was at one point in time was probably in my top three or four Schwarzenegger movies. So I'm hoping that it stays there. When, when you said loving growing up top three or four Schwarzenegger films, a hundred percent. Yeah. John just grimaced. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> no, this will be, this will be interesting this because be interesting, yeah, yeah, we're picking a film from uh, that I champion that I have a lot of nostalgia for and, um, I will reserve my thoughts cause I can't wait to go back and revisit this and do my homework on this one. Um, so what are all the important details we have to share with everybody? Um, Twitter is at not a bomb pod, um, Gmail for comments, suggestions. Um, we actually did get a suggestion and we added it to the list. That suggestion was nice guys. Yes, um, from I, Alex. Oh. Um, we, we had somebody reach out, and uh, they had listened. And I, just uh, Alex had told us that the reason why he wanted The Nice Guys is because it's a film that he recommends that he said didn't do so well, the box office. And he said everybody confuses it with the other guys. Yeah. Um, so Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that movie. And, yeah. oh, and it's a Shane Black film, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, Shane Black's all over this thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, we're at we're adding that to the list, and and Alex, we will be doing uh, the nice guys. Yep. Good pick, Alex. <laughs> and oh, sorry. And that's said, not a bomb pod at gmail.com for suggestions, comments, anything else. Yes, so. and and if you uh, want to share your thoughts too, and let us know. Um, I, again, I'm really curious. We do a recommendation like Remo Williams and. I think John and I are recommending it, saying it's not yes. a bomb, right? Yeah. But uh, I would be curious if anybody revisits this and has the same um, thoughts or feelings with Brad um, and, and just looks at it and says, hey, it's it it just can't live on its own without the the nostalgia factor. I'm, I'm really curious everybody's you know opinion on that one. Well, I need, I need some other people on my team. you got nat oh no you don't sorry about that all right three to one right now yeah (laughs) sorry about that bud um tabitha's in my camp too she uh she loves this film (laughs) well you got her indoctrinated so that's not fair no it's totally fair man (laughs) um wait we have three so does that mean we can make our own chapter of cure oh i think we could (laughs) yes sorry brad yeah No, it was a fun episode. John, I again, um, I can't thank you enough for oh, taking time you. out of your busy schedule, sitting down, talking Remo Williams with us. Uh, we would love to have you on in the future. Oh, I'd be more than happy to join. Awesome. Absolutely. Anything else, Brad? Uh, no, thanks, John. I appreciate you coming on. No, thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. This yeah. was fun. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, everybody check out Remo Williams. And if you're playing along, 
and want to um, check out next week's film. I'm sure Last Action Hero is like all over the place, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Such a yeah. local blockbuster. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think I saw it as a blockbuster. <laughs> all right, well, everybody have a good evening. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.